Let's jump in. Starting on verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them new. And remember mercy. God came from Tanan, the Holy One from Mount Brown. His glory covered the heavens, and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hands where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. The heat marches on forever. I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the seas? When you rode your horses and your chariots to victory, you uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers, the mountains you saw and writhed, torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens, at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spears. In wrath you strode the earth and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, you saved your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of the wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though to, about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the seas with your horses, treading the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I waited patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail, and the fields produce no crop, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on heights. No, Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank You're you, welcome. Sister. That was fabulous. So we are landing, a soft landing, in the book of Habakkuk this evening. I say soft because we've tried a new form. In that, week one, we would extract a passage from Habakkuk, wrestle with it, see what's in it, does it make sense to us at all in the 21st century. The following week, we would look at a practice. How can we apply that into our world? And uh, I think we've had mixed success. We've done it well, we've done it less well. But um, thank you for being gracious with us as we experimented with the space. This is our seventh venue in four and a half years, so we've moved a lot. And I'm sure there's a little bit of change fatigue in all of us, but I so appreciate that you've been with us. Here's the good news. Next Sunday, Evan Wickham. Who knows who Evan Wickham is? Right, Evan is uh, a phenomenal worship leader. You may have heard of his brother Phil, and uh, they have written many songs and led worship all over the nation. He has planted a church in San Diego, and uh, he and his wonderful wife Sandy will come and speak next week on prophetic praise, and then lead us in worship. And honestly, I, it's just, he's a dear friend. I love him when he leads worship, and we're going to be blessed out of our socks. The week after that, Susie and I, uh, Susie Romer and I are going to talk around the gifts of the Spirit. 
I've asked her to come and tell her story around the gifts. And then we're going to have a panel conversation and just Q&A and interact a little bit around the gifts of the Spirit. Because after Easter, we're going to do 10 weeks just focusing on the Holy Spirit. He's a beautiful person. He is gentle. He is tender. He is strong. He is robust. And uh, we want to explore him that by the time we end those 10 weeks, we have a far greater, not just visual on who he is, but an intimate walk with him. Uh, the following Sunday, Rob Hutton. Rob leads our church in Dubai. He is a crazy maniacal guy. Um, those of you who know him would agree. He is a chartered accountant who walked away from Deloitte's. And this is his second church he's, he's led. He's just come back from Sri Lanka. We took, a, I think, a group of 12 men on motorcycles and visited the churches that they planted in the rural parts of Sri Lanka. And so Rob's daughter goes to Westmont. They come in to visit her. We'll spend a few days with Meryl and I. He's also part of the Global Collective, what we're doing. And uh, we remember, those of us who've been here, that the first complaint of Habakkuk, how long, O Lord, the Lord's answer is look to the nations and watch. And Rob will bring us that in a very tangible way. Then, this is a good one, Palm Sunday. Who knows what we're doing on Palm Sunday? Good, exactly. We're having an Apprentice Sunday. Which means someone will preach in the church for the first time. They've never preached here before. And we normally team teach it. So, drum solo please. Brandon, our very only really right at the back there. So Brandon and Tyler are preaching on Palm Sunday and I have no idea on what. They're going to preach about palms and things. And then Easter Sunday, we will be on the beach for a sunrise service, Genesis style, which is like 7.38. You know what I mean? That's sunrise for most of you. For most of us, it's our morning brunch, but for you, it's super early. Okay. Let's dive into this chapter. You're not going to remember all that, but I wanted to just vision cast what the next few weeks look like. This is a remarkable three-chapter book, everyone. It's an exploration of Christians' wrestles and struggles. Yes, it has historical context, which is called exegesis. When we interpret it through the day and the historicity of the moment, what was it about then? But it also eisegesis, where we interpret it to what it means to me now. And we've taken some time because uh, David Pawson, the British theologian, said it took Habakkuk about 20 years to develop these three chapters. I don't know how he arrived at that conclusion. It sounds pretty cool to me. But this is a unique prophet. His name means the one who clings or embraces. Another uh, theologian said he's the bleeding prophet. Why? Well, we see him wrestle through four very clear moments. Of his life. He was already an established prophet, and he starts off in chapter 1 lamenting and grieving. How long, O Lord, and you do not listen? It's a deep heartache which many of you, many of us in this room, have experienced. We just go, Where the hell are you? Where are you? I pray, but you don't speak. I'm stuck in this circumstance, and now what? And so there's this, this combination of lament and grief. For this prophet and uh, God doesn't answer him according to his request. The latter part of the first chapter into the second is a time of disbelief and disillusionment. Try and stay with me because there's a nice little sequence here. 
So not only lament and grief, but now there's disbelief and disillusionment. You go to what? Let, let me try and earth it here. He's complaining because Israel is full of destruction and murder and violence and all sorts of things are happening. And God says, alright, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll send you the Russians. Because the Chaldeans or the Babylonians adopted a scorched earth policy. They killed every person, every animal and destroyed every building in their wake. It's like God saying, church in America, you are so poor, so unhealthy, I'm going to send the Russians and destroy the nation. And Habakkuk is loaded with disbelief and disillusionment. You're going to do what? His theology is challenged to its very core. But you are a God of love. You are a God of grace. You are a God of mercy. And, and, and Habakkuk's understanding of who God is and how God functions is a complete disconnect with who God really is. The God that he created in his mind was not at all the God whom he was praying to. Have you been there? Have you done that? Have you experienced? I have. The disbelief and disillusionment. You've got to do What? And Habakkuk does the wise thing. Not only lament and grief to dis disbelief and disillusionment, but he goes into silence and solitude. He separates himself. He says, I'll go to the wall of the city and I will be a watchman. I, I, I will just watch. I'm not going to say anything anymore because everything I've said has been really bad. And God begins to speak to him. And last Sunday, I was only able to look at one little phrase in that whole magnificent chapter, the just shall live by faith. But at the end of the chapter, it says, the Lord is in His temple, let all the earth be silent before Him. Guys and girls, I think for most of our prayers, God waits till we are silent. Now that doesn't mean we don't pray, of course it doesn't. But oftentimes we need to exhaust our own prejudice and preferences until we lie or stand with an open hand and say, God, you are God. I'm trusting you. None of this makes sense to me. In fact, I'm quite angry at you. Lament and grief to disbelief and disillusionment to silence and solitude. And then comes the poetry and the prayers. This third chapter is a song. It was written to be sung. As a moment of high wonder and high praise to a high God. When Habakkuk had to face that he had a low God. With a low perception of what this God would be. So it's almost like my favorite Vivaldi, the Four Seasons. Just this building crescendo of great choral harmony and musicality. Building up and building up and climaxing as Julia so wonderfully read to us. I want to do just three things, very simply from the text. And um, then I want us to go back into a song or two of worship. My prayer is that something will flick inside of you and me tonight. The first comes in the very first verse of chapter 3. The prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. Lord, I have heard of your fame, the NIV says. I stand in awe of your deeds. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known, in wrath, remember mercy. The contemporary English version's version says, 
I know your reputation, Lord, I am amazed at what you have done. Please turn from your anger and be merciful. Here it comes. Do for us what you did for our ancestors. Or the New Living Translation, that little verse, help us again as you did in years gone by. In other words, I think I can correctly adapt a colloquialism. Do it again, Lord. Do it Again, now you and I know that one of the joys of the Jewish people was the time spent around the table and with the rabbi where the story of Israel was told over and over and over again. You know, for those of us who preach, we don't have many stories. I mean, I was only born once. You know what I mean? I mean my father was only an alcoholic once for about 30 years. So I don't have many other stories. And so when days gone by, when um, the, the people in the church were a lot more cheeky, they would say, Chris, why don't you save us some time? Give each of your stories a number. And that way, when you get to that moment in the message, just say, number nine, and we all know exactly what it is you're talking about. I thought that was the stupidest idea ever. Because there's something powerful about doing it again, Lord. Repeating the story of God's kindness, blessing, provision, discipline, and justice. Do it again, Lord. I was sitting thinking this afternoon, this morning as I came back from my prayer time. Meryl and I have probably been through five or so fairly significant divine visitations. What does that mean, Chris? That's very religious language. It means... That somewhere God chose to visit Project Planet Earth by an increased measure of His presence in a unique way that was highly transformative. And the first was the Jesus, Jesus People Movement. As it happened here and what became Calvary Chapel, we had it in South Africa. We had long hair, we lived communally, we played our guitars, we believed that Jesus was coming back as Larry Norman told us. One way, one way to heaven. Hold up high your hand. We believed he was coming back with all of our hearts. We preached on the streets because maybe this is the last time someone will ever have the opportunity to hear Jesus. I would say do that again. In Corona del Mar, just over here, there are pictures of hundreds of hippies being baptized. We're tapped out, we're brought into the sexual revolution as we are having today in a more sophisticated way. And what would God do if God came and fell amongst us one more time with the millennials or the Gen Zs? And one more time the beaches are awash with the sins of young men and women who are crying out to God and saying the Instagram is killing me, TikTok is destroying me, my sexual abundance is defeating and depleting me. Would you come, O oh God, one more time? That's what the prophet is crying out for. We then had the charismatic renewal and all the amazing things. And I heard God speak to me for the first time. I heard prophecy for the first time. I heard tongues for the first time. It was so uber weird. So weird. Until you see the impact of transformed lives as they encounter this holy God. Would you do it again, Lord? Would you come by your spirit in the most amazing way? Would you do it again? And then, and historians vary on how they call this. I'm going to call it the British Restoration Movement. Not my phrase, but um, an author I read. And that was just this incredible wave, this, this belt around the earth 
of apostolic fathers that God raised up. And I know that language is a little weird. Forgive me for it. But John Wimber here. Chuck Smith Jr. here. In England, Terry Berger, Barney Coombs, uh, Bryn Jones, whose son is now leading a church in Santa, Santa Monica called Vintage. Dudley Daniel, who was the leader of what we did. And around the world, men and women scattered to go and take the gospel into the dark and broken places. Wayne and Renee, chartered accountant, living in South Africa, very wealthy, thank you very much, leaves all that wealth and goes to live in a small town called Dresden where they have literally marked off where the Allied bombers bombed their cathedral and it's untouched as a reminder of what the Allies did to the city of Dresden. A broken city that has since the war had to lick the wounds of rejection. No one wanted them. Every human, every person living under the stain and shame of the Nazi generation. And God sends a chartered accountant with a rich lifestyle to go and care for a little group of Germans, all old. He was telling me now about the young people in his church. Do it again, Lord. Would you give us more Wayne and Renee's? We'll meet Rob and Linda, Sean and Moses. We'll put their hands up in the chaos and confusion of uncertainty. Would you do that again? Raise up a generation of men and women who are so in love with Jesus, so in love with the gospel, and so in love with the church that prestige and privilege. I was sitting with Rob, whom you will meet, who was with Deloitte and Tush, who would be a partner today, and all of his friends who were partners have beach cottages have got mega mansions and he lives in a little house in Dubai riding motorbikes to take the gospel to little villages in Sri Lanka, in Zimbabwe. They got stuck once in a crocodile infested river and someone had to sit on the uh, 4x4 as, they, as, as someone had to go in and rope the 4x4 and pull it out. Watching out for the crocodiles. Do it again, Lord. Would you do it again, Lord? so I can carry on. Mandela and the civil rights, Martin Luther King and the civil rights. What a movement that was. What a movement that was. But it cost Mandela 27 or 23 years in prison. And he came out with humility and gentleness and care, not with anger. Martin Luther King espousing a call to humility and nonviolence. It was a move of God, ladies and gentlemen, as much as the others were. Would you do it again? What, what Habakkuk does now is in his true Jewish tradition, he goes back to their photo album and he extracts pieces of the story. If we don't understand this, the beautiful passage that Julia read, it's like ancient mountains crumbling and distress and anguish and chariots and what on earth does all of this do? He invites himself to open up the great Hebrew photo album and he says, now Lord, remind me what happened here. And he starts, he starts, listen to this exquisite verse. God came from Taman, which is to the east, the Holy One from Mount Parrot. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. What is that? It's Abraham looking at the sky, marveling that the eternal Creator God is with us. The God who started Genesis chapter 1. And he said, hi, my name is God. I am an artist. In the beginning, God created. That's just my version. 
And he says, remember that God? Remember the God that you and I are mesmerized by when we, we stand on the, uh, Meryl and I had dinner the other night, we just grabbed some carver and went to Corona del Mar and watched the sunset over Newport Harbor. Beautiful moment, super cool, romantic, and then the Roma girls arrived and messed all that up. But that's another story. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. But, but what he is saying is, my father Abraham looked at the sky and the stars and creativity and wonder and colors and the spectacular majesty of the mountains and the skies. And he said, oh, there must be a God. This is not a coincidence of colliding cells. This is intelligent design that the God who thinks, feels and speaks authored all of this. Do it again, Lord. Speak through the beauty of your creation. Verses 5, uh, verses, yes, 5. The reference, you with me? Yeah. You don't mind me being a little passionate here? No. Are, you, are, you, are you listening with your imagination? Because that's really important. If you're going to do this photo, my, my kids and my grandkids, Mary and I have got racks of, of photographs and, and videos. Remember videos? <laughs> and uh, we were, a couple of years ago, the grandkids from Australia were out. And I couldn't find the videos. I thought I lost them. I didn't sleep for about a week. I found them. But, but this notion of, like, Papa, you were young once. You're such an old guy, but you were young once and you were really good looking. I, I added that last bit. But they, they, didn't, they never I said, Amma was so beautiful and, and you were married to her. It's like, all right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you had long hair and you wore tie-dye shirts. Yeah. Yeah. See, there is something mesmerizing about knowing that we're part of this great meta-narrative, this great story of God. And that's what Habakkuk is doing. He's saying, do it again, Lord. Just like you liberated the people from Egypt, verse 5, do it again, liberate us. We're in bondage, we're ensnared, we're held captive. Would you do that again? I find it an incredible privilege to pass to you. My heart is broken sometimes by the decisions that are made. It just lead down to a predictable path of destruction and decay. But you see, a, a moment like this, a little verse, reminds me that God is the great liberating God. Let me say this. If you are struggling with pornography, you know there is liberty. It's not, well, I've just got this issue for the rest of my life. Anorexia. Is that just your lot? That's just what I've got. I've got a confused understanding of food. I never celebrated. It's the enemy. I must get rid of it. Do it again, Lord. Would you liberate us? My own sense of self-esteem, self-worth, self-value, because of my family of origin, the story is overwhelming me of just how I suck. Can you liberate me from that? That I don't have to live with that for the rest of my life. That I don't have to be a grumpy old man in my 60s, 70s, and 80s, because this residue of my soul is still inner isolation and rejection. Would you do it again? You following what I'm saying? Habakkuk is opening up a family album and he's pointing, probably he thought to himself, 
all of these moments remember when we were in Egypt remember when we were in the wilderness he quotes he marches on forever speaking about God do it again Lord would you fight for me no one else has I'm trying to think there's a story that comes to mind that I can't remember well now maybe it was someone you saw see by way of counseling but no one's ever fought for that person oh yes Meryl and I met with someone this week and uh, he was molested as a little boy he went home and told his dad and his mum and nothing happened it was a family member that was never challenged they never asked him how he was doing they never sat down and prayed with him they never coached him and walked through the sexual identity confusion that it produced as he got older his only conclusion is no one is safe I must just protect myself would you do it again would you fight for me would you would you fight for me verses 8 through 10 how are we doing time wise 8 through 10 references to the Red Sea and how God parted it and the Pharaoh's army lost in the torrents of water that swept me up do it again Lord overwhelm those who rise up against me and then this is a great one verse 11 with Joshua in battle he asks for the Sun and the moon to stand still there it says that verse 11 Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows would you do it again would you guarantee me victory would you do it again though the fig tree does not bud though the fig tree does not bud and there's no grapes on the vine though the olive crop fails and fields produce no food and there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle he's saying oh God my fragile health oh God the failing economy oh God my loss of security oh God my loss of prosperity oh God my the absence of food I don't even have enough food I am living in fear and in anxiety young lady please don't stay in an abusive relationship because what happens if I leave God will look after you next year I've been doing this for 40 years my God will look after you You don't have to be abused emotionally, mentally, physically. The promise here, even though all of these things happen, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will be joyful in God, my Savior. How do I land? this magnificent passage I think as he worked his way through from remember what we started with from lament to grief from disbelief and disillusionment to silence and solitude to poetry and prayers 
I think he gets to the place where God wanted him to get to eventually. And that was in spite of everything. In spite of all the evidence and all the proof and all the data that I can accumulate. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will worship you. Ladies and gentlemen, there is something particularly stunning about a heart of worship. There is something magnificent about a man or a woman who faces the authenticity of this story and the life they live, that they live in and yet surrender and submit to a sovereign God. Do you mind if I read you a passage? Ephesians 1 verse a passage and a story. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. Ephesians 1 verse 11. Having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. All things according to the counsel of His will. Leaving. That's what essentially sovereign means. That God brings everything back to the counsel of His will. He can be trusted. Flying home from London. Here's my story. And we'll end. Um, I was flying back from London about a week or so ago. And on the plane, I saw the 100-foot wave documentary. How many of you have seen it? Garrett McNamara. Garrett was a, a crazy big wave surfer. I mean big wave. Not 30, 40, 50 feet. His passion and commitment was to ride a 100-foot wave. And he believed he found it at Nazare, Portugal. And the documentary is how they began to find the right wave and get him into the right wave without him dying. And it started off by learning how to partner with the, the jet ski that pulled him in. And if he got taken out, how the jet ski would come and pick him up before the next wave comes and get him out. They discovered that they designed jackets to as flotation devices. It's a fascinating, fascinating story. But this is the beautiful part of it. They soon realized the waves were too big that they could not see beyond the waves. And they realized that if they went into the drink, there was no way that the jet ski person would know where to get them and take them out. And so his young wife, or she was his girlfriend then, and he was already in his 40s, decided to use a walkie-talkie with a jet ski. And she would sit up on the lighthouse, for those of you who know uh, Nazareth, and she would sit on the, uh, uh, up there at the lighthouse and she would talk to them. No, don't take this wave. Don't take this one. There's another set coming on. Third peak, break to the left, go. They could not see such was the height of the wave. And this time, that's the only way they can fathom out that when a man is in a wave, he's about five foot tall. And they multiplied that out and the biggest wave he rode was T, what was it, about 95, 98 feet? 98, 98 feet. Now you can imagine at 98, it's over eight story building coming in on you. How do you know if that's the one you take? And then when you, are when you land in the drink, how does the guy know, the jet ski person know where to come in and to pick you up without he himself being put in the drink? The walkie-talkie person. He's gone down. Keep going. He's about 30 yards in front of you. You will find him. There's a wave coming, but you're able to pick him up and bring him to shore. Well done. Bring him to shore. See, the jet ski person and Garrett, and there were different names. 
knew that they had to fully and implicitly trust that young girl who was on a walkie-talkie telling them which wave to catch and which wave to bypass. When he went into the drink, where he could be found and where he could be rescued, and sometimes it meant he had to take four or five waves pounding him because the jet ski could not get in and fetch him. Do you not think that is such a dramatic picture of this text? The complete trust that the surfer has to have with the jet skier. The complete trust that the two of them had to have with this little girl, this young girl. I'm going to put her at about 28 to 32. She's sitting with a walkie-talkie. She is not a surfer. But she knew how to call the waves. And she knew how to call the rescue. When big waves come our way, if we don't engage with the lighthouse and the walkie-talkie, we won't know which wave to take and we won't know how to be rescued. He said, even if all these things happen, even if I get pounded over and over again, yet will I praise because there's someone at the lighthouse with a walkie-talkie who will coach us back safe and sound. That's why he could worship the Lord. Funny little moment. When the jet ski saved him all once and they got back to the back line, his girlfriend called him and said, come in now, Garrett, and let's go and make babies. <laughs> <laughs> That's praise. Well done. You've just ridden an estimated 73-foot wave. Well done. Let's go and make babies. Hey, guys, isn't that like a really good quote? I, I, I personally really like that. <laughs> Though the fig tree does not blossom and there's no bud on the vine and there's no sheep and there's no food, yet will I praise you because you're at the lighthouse and you can see what I can't see and without you I'm in the drink and I will drown and nearly two people did have to be hospitalized. But the walkie-talkie person got them back to shore. That's why Habakkuk was able to praise the Lord. Would you stand with me please? Caden, quick, 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 quick. Would you close your eyes for a sec? If you don't mind, it's not a religious thing, it's just a focused thing. Would you open your hands as the great symbolic act of surrender? Honestly, obviously, I don't know where you are. I, I, I don't know what you are wrestling with. But the overriding cry of do it again, what the photo album tells me you've done, will you do it again. And then when the waves, I've caught them, they're exhilarating, the waves have pounded me, I'm, I'm arching for wind, I can hardly breathe as another 60-footer comes and breaks on me. Yet will I praise thee because there's a walkie-talkie at the lighthouse that will guarantee my rescue. That is a modern application for what the prophet knew. I'm going to ask you to pray your own prayer. What about this evening's gathering has caught your attention? And we just quietly where you're standing, bring that before God as we sing one more song.